Hello, um, I'm Maisie, this is Daniel. We did our, um, our project was on home dining, home cooking, and how um, it differs from restaurant eating and cooking. Um, and so our primary site was a restaurant called Senior on the west side of Chicago, near west side. Um, it's been open for around 15 years, um, run by one woman out of her home in the, in the kitchen, in the basement, basically. So this is a video to kind of give you an idea of the restaurant. It's loud. So basically, as you can see, it's not like a typical restaurant in that you walk in and you're greeted by a hostess and they seat you at your table in a space where everything is made for you, but it, it's actually, uh, it's her home. You walk in up the stairs, you actually have to ring the doorbell and then she'll come and order and get you. You sit down in her living room like you would at a friend's house and then afterwards you, she takes you down into the basement where she's put out tables and seats, and then there's a buffet for you to select from. So uh, the three things that our, that our kind of project really tried to focus on were notions of authenticity versus non-authenticity. Um, the difference between restaurants, home cooking, both in the food and the space, the environment that you eat in. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and the difference between an amateur and a professional chef, what it means to be a home cook versus a cook versus a chef. You know, what, is it, what does it take to, to really call yourself something like that? Uh, and we kind of found that Senior basically sits in the middle of all of these dichotomies. Like, um, a lot of the reviews online when we were looking at it beforehand um, were claiming it to be, like, completely authentic Brazilian food, like, home, like, you can't get it anywhere else, like, Brazil and Chicago. Um, but when talking to Georgina, it was very clear that she kind of just did what she wants. She made do with the ingredients she could get in Chicago. Like she'd serve a pasta dish every day that was not Brazilian at all. And she kind of, it was like a lot more free than I think um, we expected. Uh, and basically that was that's after all our visits to Senia, we really went in with the expectation that we would, that we would find this woman cooking the most traditional, most uh, unadulterated food you could possibly find in consistency, just like anybody, just these recipes that have been passed down from generation to generation, as you'd expect from, from, from going to your grandma's house, for instance. But when we talked to her, she said that she couldn't care less about authenticity. She couldn't care less about what um, what is expected, it's basically what she feels like doing is what she does and what makes her happy and what makes her customers happy is, is how she runs her restaurant. And every day the menu changes. If she feels like trying something new, she'll try it new. If she wants to make something eight times bigger, she'll make it eight times bigger. And if she doesn't want to cook something at all, she won't cook it. So she just, I guess when, you're, when it comes down to cooking at home, it's it's the variety and unexpectedness and just freedom of choice that you don't have when you're cooking in a traditional restaurant where you need to replicate your food 
every time perfectly to an exact T. So, so in response to our visits to Art Senior, um, we decided to create our own home restaurant. Um, we wanted to do it just kind of to further understand like what it is exactly that she's doing and how, how it feels to be both a customer there and um, to put on a dinner in that manner. So um, we kind of had to put certain boundaries in place around how we were doing it. We invited friends and people that we knew but they had to pay a $10 kind of admission fee, um, partly to color ingredients, but also just like, so that there was some transactionality in it. Like there was, for example, like when you saw when we entered the home in that video, um, we could just sit down and start eating before we'd, before any kind of money had been agreed on. Like it was, it's just kind of, it's, it was almost an uncomfortable level of ambiguity in terms of like, feeling like you're incredibly welcome in someone's home, like it's almost like a, a family meal, but then there's the knowledge that, um, that you are paying for it and that it's not, it's not um, I don't know, yeah, it is more transactional. So uh, I guess here's a, here's a quick video of just the whole process of converting my apartment. This is actually during the dinner, so you can see there were tables, we set it up. We also kept music playing like a normal. We have a star pending 20 and 25. Very loud, I apologize. <laughs> it's delicious. Uh, yeah, so this was my messy apartment beforehand, and like any good restaurant, it needs to be clean. So when I have people over, normally I wouldn't put this much effort, but we really just strive to make it a, a picture perfect environment. Uh, so I guess our project, the main, the main way that our ethnographic research came across in our work was through the creation of our menu and we're going to run through each dish really quickly. So the third member of our group, Sophia, wasn't, wasn't able to uh, make it to this event, but she grew up part of her life in Sweden and the thing that's most nostalgic to her from Sweden was gravlocks. So this was thinking about what it means. Home cooking is extremely nostalgic. You know, thinking of foods that you ate at your mom's house, at your grandma's house, it, can, it, it brings you back to a certain place in time. And this is kind of what connects, and food is what really connects her to Sweden. So that is what uh, she made for the first course. And the second course, in the third course, the, was a soup and, a, and, two, and two different kinds of rice and beans. And these were my dishes, and these came down to the anthropological concept of culture, uh, what is it, uh, culture, culture constructs. That's uh, what you call it, I think. I don't know. Basically what happens is, is wherever you go, you'll find people eating chicken soup, and you'll find people eating rice and beans. And it means a different thing to every single person. Like, I grew up every Friday night eating a variation on this chicken soup, which is a Persian chicken soup with a, uh, with a cardamom and chickpea and turkey meatball and garbanzo beans. And then I have other friends who, in, who grew up eating matzo ball soup, other, other Mexican friends who grew up eating Mexican chicken soup, Chinese friends who grew up eating chicken soup. So everywhere you go, there's chicken soup that you eat in the home, but it's different. And same thing with rice and beans. With rice and beans, I grew up eating a lentil rice and beans with cumin and raisins, and it's the best. 
But then I also, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I grew, I ate a lot of black beans and rice. It's just wherever you went, it was your meal came with black beans and rice. So, so these things, these kind of universal foods that people, the staple foods, um, just kind of transcend uh, cultural boundaries, but still remain individual to, to in distinct cultures. And lastly, uh, the first, the course above came down to the idea of celebration and home cooking and like holidays. And I was thinking, we were at the restaurant and a lot of people came for their birthday. And we were thinking, why would you go to this restaurant rather than an actual restaurant that they serve you in? It's not inside someone's home. And I was thinking because, you know, Christmas is spent eating at home. Hanukkah is spent eating at home. Shabbat dinners are eaten at home. Like the big holidays, you typically don't go out to eat. You go, you come to somebody's home. So there is this notion of, of tradition and festivities being eaten in one home. And, uh, and with this, these meatballs I eat every Friday night for Shabbat. And then matzo ball soup you eat on Passover. So like these, these holidays it's, are very closely linked to home cooking. And then, so in the bottom left there is, was my dish. Um, it's a timpano. It's, I think it only exists in a film, but it's similar to like a timbalo. Um, but it's, so it, this is a, it's like pasta dough. There's pasta in there, there's meatballs, there's salami, there's boiled eggs. It's this really kind of weird, like mutated lasagna almost. Um, and my justification for making that was, um, that it was like, I mean, in talking to Georgina, I think Daniel touched on this, but I went there looking for some, like a, a Brazilian restaurant and what I found was just a woman who enjoyed cooking. Um, and so like in the spirit of Georgina, I used this excuse of this dinner to make the dish that I'd wanted to make for ages. Um, it was a long time, a long, <laughs> lot of effort, but um, it was worth it. And then the other, this, slightly um, off the road one. <laughs> Our final course was um, a glass of wine and uh, a hand of cards for a card game. And this was um, going off. I mean, the experience of eating at Senior, it was very communal. Like you'd get to, you'd get to talking with the people next to you. At one point, she, um, she'd forgotten to buy greens earlier in the day. So someone ran out and then she started just like putting it on everyone's plate as we were sitting around the table. And it kind of, it was, it was a very, um, I don't know, it just brought us together Extreme, very easily. Extremely communal dining experience. Um, so our idea with this course was one that would essentially force contact between our guests um, if they hadn't made it already. These are just a few more, a few more uh, pictures of the dinner. Uh, Peter actually brought this beautiful bottle <laughs> of, of sake, right? Yeah, of sake, and we were just, it was a magnum bottle of, just, and it had this beautiful, I keep flowers in it actually, and you know, it's, the senior is also BYOB, everybody brings wine and they kind of just drink throughout the day. They have brunch that people, their own boozy brunch, and it's not like you're getting charged $16 for a glass of wine. Uh, and then here's uh, us coming to the table and eating with the dining with with the diners that you don't see at a regular restaurant. You see that at home, but when was the last time the chef came and ate off your plate? <laughs> and then lastly, uh, our dessert was inspired by a, c a conversation we had at the end of one of our meals, 
when we were sitting around on Georgina's couch, as one does, uh, and we were thinking, what are things that we all do? And we all realized that at night, we, when, let's say in the middle of the night when we're heating up food, we also just kind of eat the frozen food or like just kind of snack. And it's, it's really just, it's just like anything that you can get in the lights, just kind of weird combinations, seeing what you have in your fridge. So Sophia made a, uh, made a cream cheese ice cream with frozen uh, cinnamon raisin bread inside of it because of a conversation, because we talked about, I have always in my freezer this loaf of cinnamon raisin bread and I'll put one in the toaster and I'll take, and then while that's toasting, I'll eat the frozen bread, sometimes with cream cheese, sometimes by itself, whatever. It's weird, but it's just like with the lights off. So when we try to just not wake up my roommates, so when we served this, we turned all the lights off and made it completely dark to kind of emulate, emulate the midnight snack, which is, an, I think, another part of home cooking is not these elaborate meals, but just the thing that you whip up to satisfy a craving. So do you want to talk about the limitations? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this is kind of uh, just a, a reflection on our project um, in that I think the interactions between people at our dinner were slightly skewed in that most people knew at least one person there. Most people knew each other. It was kind of people that we all knew. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't quite the, um, the social experience that we had at Senior. Um, Service was rough. Trying to get those courses out of a, of a domestic <laughs> kitchen for easy. sort of 12 people was not easy. Um, but we did it. It was just, um, yeah, could have done with a, with a <laughs> bigger counter. Um, and yeah, just general, um, we were limited in space and resources. We were working out of Daniel's living room with the chairs that he had and kind of pulled chairs from the community. But uh, yeah, basically... Uh, we had a lot of fun. It definitely changed a lot of our perspectives on this topic. And if there's any questions anyone has, we'd be feel free to take them. What or kind of food is this? It's uh, so that's the thing. It's not. It's not limited to the restaurant that we did our research at is Brazilian food, but the food that we did our in our menu was just extremely scattered. There was Italian American food, Persian Jewish food, Ashkenazi food. Swedish food, ice cream. Oh. Yeah, so it was all over the place. It's all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't the same. The reason that I first thought of this is there's a restaurant in Los Angeles that's called Khaliz, and it's in the middle of a neighborhood on the outskirts of the city, and it's, it's just in the random suburb, and you knock on the door, and this is at least... Senia is set up like a restaurant. This one is the only, they have a little patio in the back where a bunch of Senegalese people are, are hanging out. But the rest of it is like you eat at their dining room with their, and you, or you can sit on their couch and eat. And it's just, yeah, burners, just like a normal kitchen. And it's a lot of fun. And the food was okay. The food was fine. But it was the experience of like trekking an hour and a half just to find this random house and knock and... It's, it's a lot of fun. So the experience is, is it's food tourism, you know? It's, it's, it's a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also, I remember when I went to your final program, one of the things you guys talked about was not having enough china. 
We were washed, yeah, basically we had two sets of plates and bowls, so each course, while they were eating on one set, we'd be back scrubbing dishes and drying them as fast as we could, and keeping the food hot and fresh was impossible, trying to navigate <coughs> everything, whereas if you invite someone over for dinner, you know, if the food's not ready, you wait, right. and it's, when it's ready, you eat, and that's... But if you're paying for it... If it's not... if. Yeah. The dynamic changes when you're a paying customer. You know, last night I had people over and I had some leftover pasta and I offered my friend, he's like, do you want me to heat? I'm like, I can heat it up for you. He's like, no, like, please, like, don't, like, don't, in, don't inconvenience yourself. Like, I'll just eat it cold. Like, and I'm like, I'll heat it up for you. And he was, he's like, no, don't take time. But if at a restaurant, if you were to get served ice cold pasta, oh, well, what would happen? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah. So I had the privilege of going to the dinner uh, a, mo a month ago or whatever, and it was just great in every way. Um, I actually had a, a really good view into the kitchen. It was, it was a lot of fun because um, the, th the three of you were just laughing and dancing and hugging each other. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm sure there was some stress involved, but but uh, you you seem to be having a really good time, at least most of the most of the time. Um, so, um, just one comment and a question. Um, so I knew about um, I knew about the uh, the payment aspect. And that was an important part of the, the whole experience, but I was a little. Um, um, uh, stressed about um, whether to leave a tip. <laughs> um, I don't know what the expectations were. As it turned out, so it was a, it was a flat $10, which is you know, like one of the great bargains, you know, um, of my life. Uh, but I was, I was wondering, you know, am I supposed to leave, you know, a tip, how much? Um, but it turned out I didn't have any small bills, so it became, it became a non-issue. <laughs> um, so my question, um, had you thought, I, this only occurred to me later, had you thought about setting up a, a Yelp page for your restaurant? No, that never occurred to us. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny. Yeah, I this Right, mediocre at best. <laughs> Three stars, food was great, service could have been better. It's always, I mean, my problem with Yelp is, I mean, this is a different thing. It's, it's, it's great at finding places, but like there will be these incredible restaurants with the best food, but these places, I mean, but let's say one thing happens or one person's in a bad mood, and, and they'll immediately, they're like, great food, but this and this, one star. And that'll, that'll just completely, it'll send to the top, of the top of the reviews and completely skew the restaurant and deter business. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely, I mean, Food criticism is another thing, how one review can shut down your restaurant, really. Well, in fact, uh, Peter's comment to me was half about using Yelp is, don't look at the reviews, look at the pictures of the food. Yeah. You know, get up, because like you said, they get too much into their own heads about Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I've never thought about that, but maybe we could do a, a, a delay one month, one month reflections on, on, the, on the restaurant. Open and close in one night. 
Exactly. <laughs> One night only. <laughs> Just to know. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but I've had some of them. I've had some of the best meals of my life at C-grade restaurants. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> at like C-rated restaurants, where in the back, the kitchen. I mean, like the the bathroom has like the, like the, I don't know, like the plunger, and I mean the the mop. The mops. I went to a restaurant once that the bathroom was also a bike storage. Like the all the employees had kept their bikes in the bathroom, but yeah, I mean. We definitely did not pass a health inspection. Our restaurant would definitely. Hence the friends. Hence the. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always take those negative reviews with a grain of salt because you've got to look like, okay, there's 400 good reviews. Exactly. Bad ones. Yeah. Either crabby people in general. Yeah. Bad day. Yeah. You know, I, I think you can't. Um, well, I personally don't. Yeah, I'll always. a lot over recent periods of time. And if they all if they all say the same thing, I also find that that's typically a problem. You know, if it's a one-off, that can be overlooked. But I've had the experience of reading and thinking, oh, these people are just pissed off, and then experiencing the same exact problem that thirty people experience. Yeah. Okay. I I think we have some food. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, about the 